Well, I had a bit of an unusual experience last weekend. I ran the Boston Marathon. Well, kind of, because here's the way it went. It was supposed to be last April, but we couldn't run then because of the pandemic, and so it was postponed till last week. And of course, we still couldn't run it last week, and so they moved it to a virtual event which just means that you run your same 26.2 miles. It's just that you do it wherever you want and when you want to do it within a span of about a week's time that they give you to do so. And so that's the way that it was to operate. And then you have a GPS watch or some sort of tracking device that follows you so that you can submit the fact that you actually ran the 26.2 miles. Or that's the way that it's supposed to work. (laughs) As I was getting into the final miles of the race for myself, what happened is that my GPS watch somehow got paused. And it stayed paused for about a mile. And so when I thought I was at 26.2 miles and done, my watch said 25.2 miles. And they weren't going to accept that as a full marathon. And so I had to run an extra mile so that I might be able to turn in the correct distance according to my GPS watch. Somebody said to me after the fact, why didn't you just get a bicycle or something and and ride the last mile or ride in the back of a pickup or something? I said, oh, I've never... What a great idea (laughs) that would have been if only I'd have thought of it ahead of time. So, So anyway, I have now run my first virtual marathon, and I can tell you this, Even though it's a virtual marathon, it doesn't bring virtual pain. It brings real pain, just the same way that an actual marathon would. But the whole experience sort of reminded me of the marathon in Boston from last year, and specifically the finish of that particular race. It was a bit unusual. Typically, in in the marathon, or more often than not, after 26.2 miles, somebody has broken out of the pack and they're ahead at the end by a good bit. Maybe by several seconds they would win, or maybe even several minutes in some cases. But last year was different. The end of that race was different. And I just thought you might be interested to see it. So, take a look. After more than 26 miles starting in Hopkinton, now coming all the way to the final block on Boylston. Stride for stride to the finish line. Who will take the win in Boston? Now that's what I call going for the win. I mean, that is just amazing. Keep in mind that they've already run 26.1 miles at that point in under five minutes per mile, and then they still have the ability to do that. I mean, that is absolutely stunning and amazing. If you had seen me at the end of my race, I did not look like that, all right? I was not moving like they were moving. I was just happy to finish, all right? But that was an amazing finish. But the fact is, even as amazing as that was, we're not strangers to people going for the win, are we, in athletic contests. We see it in a number of ways and in a number of different activities. But here's the thing. We must not relegate to going for the win to the course or to the field or to 
the court. There are other realms of life where we also should be going for the win. And today we're actually going to look at two of those specific areas. As we open up the text that is before us today, and I invite you to turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, these are the verses that we're going to be in. It'd be helpful for you to have this open in your lap. We're not going to be putting all these verses up on the screens for you to see, and so it'll be useful for you, I do believe, if you're able to kind of walk along with us as we do this. Now this is a bit of an unusual passage because two different times Peter comes at us and he says, this is what I want you going for. And each time he says, and as you do so, here is the win that you can come to experience. Two times he says, here's what you should be going for and here's the win. So we're talking about going for the win. We're just going to lay this out the way that he does for us today. And I hope that this is helpful to you as we make our way along. So let's just jump into this, shall we? The first thing that Peter tells us that we should be going for is a progressing faith. A progressing faith. Our passage today begins by looking back. Right at the top in verse 5, which is the beginning of our passage, it says, for this very reason, which ought to cause us to ask, Any good Bible student, they read that, and they would say to themselves, for what very reason? Which takes us back then to verses 3 and 4, which we looked at last time, which makes it very clear that a believer in Jesus Christ is a partaker in the divine nature, and they have been given everything that they need for life and godliness. We talked about that last week. If you missed last week, that sort of set us up for the whole of this letter of 2 Peter. So please go online and, and listen to that message also. But he tells us we have everything that we need for life and godliness, for our life to flourish in God. And as you probably know, we are calling this message series Equipped. We're calling it Equipped because that's what Peter is talking about. All throughout this letter, he tells us, here's who you are. Here's the way that God has made you. Here's what God has provided for you. Here's how you've been equipped. In particular here, he says, what we looked at last week, that we have been equipped with the divine nature of God poured out on us so that we have everything that we need for life and godliness. That's awesome. And one of the things that he said, we looked at this very closely last week, he said, and he comes back to it now, one of the things that we have been given is a precious faith. A precious faith. Now in today's passage, he picks up on that blessing of faith, and he points out that he doesn't just want us to let that faith lay there. It's not just enough that we have faith to begin with. He says, now that you have it, now that you've been equipped with that, there is something that you must do with it. Faith is a catalyst. Faith is a key that opens up a door of opportunity that we have been equipped to walk through. And if we're going to experience the fullness that God has for us, we need to understand how to walk through that door marked faith, or that door that faith can lead us toward. That's what Peter means when he says here in verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Make every effort to add to your faith. That doesn't mean that you need anything on top of faith for salvation. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that now that you have faith, you can't just let it sit there. Faith is there for a reason. It's there to inspire you. It's there to propel you forward. Okay? Faith is a catalyst. 
It is the thing that lights the spark. It is it's the thing that starts the fire, but then there are some other logs that need to be thrown onto that fire in order to actually become the people that he would have us to be. So he says, add to your faith. What's that all about? Now, why does Peter feel so compelled to say that very thing? I think it's pretty simple. It's because there were people who were content at sort of coasting in their faith. They were glad that it opened up a door for them. They were feeling, well, it gives me some security when it comes to the future, and so I must be good. I've got faith. I've come into relationship with Christ. Now I'm settled. Everything's good. I really don't need to press toward anything more. That's what people were saying, and it leads to a sort of spiritual complacency that sets them up for spiritual failure. And the exact same thing happens today, all the time. I encounter people like this constantly in my work. People who are satisfied to have a taste, but not the whole. Satisfied to have a little bit of insurance as they think about the security of their future, but not concerned with the present. Not concerned with what God would have them to be. Do you know anybody who would make a claim to being in faith? But if you look at the way that they're living their life, you can see that there's things that are missing. You can see where they stumble and fall when it comes to relationship with Christ. Could it be that you're in that category? You're experiencing that for yourself? Peter says faith is a catalyst. Again, that kindles the fire. But there are some logs that he says, now throw those on. Now that you have faith, add to your faith. And he goes on to tell us, well, what are some of those things that he'd want us to add? Great question. Verse 5, take a look at it again. It just, it just lays these out for us. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. So let's just hit each of these quickly, all right? What's he talking about? The first attribute he urges us to add to faith is goodness. Add to your faith goodness. Martin Luther describes this as faith that breaks out before the people. This is our faith being displayed in what we say, being displayed in the actions that we carry out. This is us being anxious to serve other people, to look to the needs that are around us and do something about them. It's living a good life. It's understanding this is what a good person would do. And my sense is that you already know what those steps would be. It's just a matter of, are we going to take them? So he says, add to your faith goodness. He says, add to goodness knowledge. That's the second of them. Five times in these first eight verses, Peter comes back to this idea of knowledge because he wants to be sure that we understand this, in part because this whole letter is about combating false teachers who would bring false knowledge. Now, when we think of this word knowledge, it's important that we would understand that in the biblical sense, wherever you see this, it's not about just gaining more facts. It's not about learning more things that you can store away in your head. Biblical knowledge is always about action. It's always, if we're going to have biblical knowledge, we're going to be acting on the things that we have come to believe. And the same thing is very much true 
here when Peter comes back to it again and again. It's not enough to know things. We need to act on those things. In fact, there's really little demonstration of the fact that you know them until you do them. Add to your faith goodness. Add to goodness knowledge. Add to knowledge, he says, self-control. Self-control means that we're not allowing the negative influences that are around you to take a hold within you. It means taking every thought captive, which can be or sound like a very difficult thing to do. And if you're trying to live out your spiritual life, you know that you don't take every thought captive, do you? But you can move forward in such a way that you can experience victory in this because we have the Spirit of God that is present within us, which is especially meaningful when we think about self-control because if you're familiar with the fruit of the Spirit, that's one of those, that the Spirit comes and assists us in developing. Also, he says, add to your faith perseverance. That's the next one. Perseverance. This is the ability to endure whatever the challenge. And just examine where you are in your own heart, in your own life. Maybe there's some, some health issue that is threatening to steal your joy. Maybe there is some sort of financial burden that you're going through that is threatening to break you. Maybe there's something in your marriage, in your relationship with your children, in your work, whatever it might happen to be. And you're ready to give up, but Peter tells us to press on instead. See, making every effort like he calls us to do in verse 5, to add to your faith these things, that doesn't stop at the first hurdle. It doesn't stop at the second roadblock. It presses on because we've been given the power, we've been given the strength by God to press on. So whatever those circumstances are that are threatening you today, consider this a word from the Lord if you are in faith that you would add to your faith perseverance. Because the scriptures tell us that perseverance actually develops in us character and Christ-likeness. So those things which sound like things or seem like things that we just love to jettison are actually things that are making us more like Christ. If we'll make every effort to add to our faith, perseverance. He goes on then, he adds godliness as well. Godliness is God-likeness, and as such, it's one of those characteristics that many of us dismiss as being unattainable, right? I can't be godly, and so what's the point? And if we don't believe that we can get to the end product of godliness, then it's like, well, what difference does it make if I make it 60% of the way there or 70%? And so we sort of lose our impetus, our, our urgency in going after it. But as we do so, we're completely missing the point because godliness is not about attaining, it's not about reaching the end of the journey. Godliness is the journey itself. It's daily decisions. You can live a godly life one day at a time, one decision at a time. And so if you've been in a situation where you've been making decisions or there have been days and weeks when you've been making choices that are apart from what you would consider godliness, what the scriptures would call godliness, that doesn't mean that you need to now just get back on the path and now many years from now you can be deemed godly. No, today you can be deemed godly because you're making the choice to add to your faith godliness, decisions that would demonstrate your faith to be real. Add your faith godliness. Add to godliness, he says, mutual affection. 
This is blessing the other people who are in your life. It's looking to the interests of others ahead of your own. It's getting outside of your own circumstances to see the circumstances somebody else is in, to see the pain that they're going through, to see the problems and the troubles that they're going through, and not just turn your back on them, but step in and doing something about it, showing that you care for, have an affection for, have a brotherly kindness toward those others. Then he wraps up the list with one that is so powerful and dynamic. All of them sort of lead to this. And the last one he says to add to your faith is love. Is the pinnacle of all the other attributes. And not only is it the pinnacle, it's the glue that holds them all together. It's the thing that provides unity for those who are striving to add to their faith these attributes. Paul after he had given a similar list in what he had written in Colossians, he writes this. He writes, And over all of these things, these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Love, as it's expressed in its purest form, is always going to bring unity because love demonstrates sacrifice. And if someone sacrifices toward you, you're going to feel their love and if you sacrifice toward them, they're going to feel yours. Just as we can feel and appreciate and, and lean into God's love. Through his example of the ultimate sacrifice of his own life on our behalf. So, taken together, this is a very lofty list. And, and you might not feel qualified to attain to it. Or certainly not to accomplish it. But that's the wrong perspective, and that's the wrong conclusion, because we have been given the divine nature. We're participants in the divine nature. We have been equipped with everything that we need, including faith. And so we can add these things on to faith. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there's no reason that you cannot experience and live in and experience victory through demonstrating these attributes in your life. And so Peter says, this is what I want you going for. This is what I want you going for. But why do we go for it? Well, we go for it because of the win that comes as a result. And what's the win? The win is a productive life. Going for a progressing faith, the win is a productive life. We can see Peter make this point for himself right here in verse 8, where he writes, look at it. For if you possess these qualities, what qualities? All those things we've just been talking about. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure... In other words, if you're growing in them, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or said kind of the opposite way, living out those attributes will make you effective. They will make you productive. That's the win, a productive life. This is so helpful. I believe that most people listening right now, right now, you want to live a life that is effective and productive when it comes to your spiritual walk. I believe that that is true of pretty much all of us. Now, I also believe that we're probably at different places in terms of the level of commitment that we have to actually living those things out or actually going after them. But I do believe that we all want to be fruitful. But even among those who are most serious about going after it, Peter is acknowledging that there are going to be times when we stumble in our ability to get that done. That may be because we're approaching it in the wrong way. Because here's what happens oftentimes. We start to feel guilty. 
we start to think, I ought to be more effective. I ought to be more productive in my spiritual life. And so that's what I'm going to do. Starting tomorrow, I'm going to be more productive. Tomorrow comes, okay, I'm going to be more productive. And off we go. And we don't make it anywhere. We get tripped up. Why? Because we don't know how to do it. We don't know how to move our way forward toward being productive. We just sort of have this idea that we want to do it. We don't have a game plan. Well, Peter gives us a game plan. What's his game plan? We already talked about it. He says, you want to experience that win? You want a productive life? Then you need a progressing faith. So instead of just saying, I'm going to go off and be productive today, we can say, I'm going to add to my faith goodness. I'm going to pursue the attribute of goodness or of self-control or of perseverance in the midst of the trouble that I'm going through or mutual affection or love. I'm going to take these sub-attributes, if you will, to faith, and I'm going to go after those. And as we pursue those, what's that going to accomplish? That's going to give us a productive life, spiritually speaking. And we know what it looks like to express or to live out self-control. We know what it looks like to persevere. But it's hard to say, I'm just going to look productive today. We need to break it down. And that's what Peter is trying to do here. Or you might think of it like this. This might help. Imagine that I was named the manager of the pirates. <laughs> you can laugh if you want. After all, the way things are going, that might be needing a manager soon, right? Things are not going well as being in last place in all of the major leagues. Okay, so I am now the manager, and spring training comes around, and I bring everybody together, all the guys, all the players, and I say, okay, guys, we all want to be effective and productive. And I'm going to lead us to be effective and productive. So what I want you to do, our first game is in two months. I want you to be back here that day about four o'clock because the game's at seven. I want you to come back that day. And when you get out on the field, I just want you to do your best. That's one approach. Just generally, we want to be effective and productive on the field. Or I might say, Thanks for showing up today, guys. We've got two months till our opening game, and we're going to work every day along the way on the fundamentals. We're going to work on pitching and hitting and catching and throwing and strategy. We're going to work on all of that because if we can develop the component parts, then we're going to be effective and productive. That's what Peter's saying. The second of those strategies is going to work most effectively because we're breaking it down to the point of what Peter is saying. He's saying, here are the things you need to take on if you're going to be effective and productive. So we need to ask ourselves, how are we doing? Not at being productive. How are we doing at adding to our faith goodness and knowledge? You might say, well, that makes the list so long. No, that makes the list doable because we understand what we're being asked to do instead of just saying in some general way we're going to go be effective and productive. These are the areas where Peter is concerned that we would be effective and productive. 
So he calls us to that. Then Peter adds that there isn't just an upside if we possess those qualities in increasing measure. There's also a downside that we can avoid, or there's a downside we experience if we don't pursue those in increasing measure. Verse 9, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Now, he's clearly talking about believers who've been given the ability to see spiritually, but they're living in such a way that they are spiritually blind. He's saying, you have the ability to see, it's just you're living in such a way that you can't see. Kind of reminds me of wearing glasses and a mask at the same time, right? You're, you're able to see, but you just can't see is kind of the way that that goes. And so you look for a better mask like Andy Reid did. Did you see Andy Reid in the game? There's his mask. Looks like he's got a whole greenhouse going on under there. He's got a whole biodome in front of his nose or something going on. That didn't work any better for him than me with my glasses and my mask do. But Peter gets pretty bold here by saying, if you're not advancing in these characteristics, in these qualities, then you may as well not be a believer at all. Because you're not demonstrating that there's anything in you that is representative of the fact that there's faith in you. He says you just look spiritually blind. And he's saying these to, things to believers. And it's kind of penetrating. It kind of forces you to ask, would God look at me and say, there's someone who I put faith, the touch of faith on his life. But he can't see. He's nearsighted. He's blind. He's living as one who's not in faith at all. And if that's where we would be, there's an urgency. What's the urgency? To go for a progressing faith so that we might experience the win, which is a productive life. That's what he's calling us to. Going for the win. Going for a progressing faith. The win, a productive life. So that's the first area. That's the first area. Going for the win, what it looks like. Then quickly, let me give you this second one here as well. Another priority that he gives us that same going for and the win. And that is this. He's talking about going for a confirmed calling. A confirmed calling. Take a look at verse 10. It says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Just like Peter reminded us back in verse 5 that we've been equipped with a faith and that we have a responsibility to go after something with that. Here in verse 10, he also says you've been equipped with something else. Remember, this whole series, equipped. Verse 5, you're equipped. He reminds us with faith. Here again, you are equipped. Equipped with something else this time. And just as he said in verse 5, I want you to make every effort to go after it and experience it. Here again, he says in verse 10, I want you to make every effort to go after this. He's saying, yes, there are these things you've been equipped with, but there's still a responsibility on our part. And so what is it that he's calling us to go for? Well, it's, what have we said? A confirmed calling. He wants us to confirm our calling and our election. So how do you confirm 
your calling and election. Well, first of all, it's important to point out that we're not trying to establish a calling and an election. All right? We're not trying to get ourselves called or elected. That is all the work of God. It is all because of the grace of God that we are in that position in the first place, and we should celebrate it as such. We should celebrate the way that He has equipped us. Your role is to live that out and to prove that to be true. And it's as you live in such a way that demonstrates you walk with Christ, that you have the fruit of the Spirit alive in you, that you're looking to the interests of other people ahead of your own interests, that you can demonstrate the fact that there is something alive in you, that you've been called, that you have been elected. You're confirming it based on the fact that you're living in such a way that demonstrates it, proves it to be true, proves that you are in Christ, living beyond selfish motives. It confirms our calling. So we're going after a confirmed calling, but just like before, there is a win that comes as we live in that way, and the win is then an abundant future. That's what Peter points out as verse 10 continues. Look at it. It says, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. That doesn't mean you'll never sin. It doesn't mean that you'll never have any challenges or difficulties in life, but you will never fall out of God's care. You will always advance in fellowship with God. And verse 11, you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, how I hope that describes I long that that describes you. And the interesting thing about this passage is it gives you a way so you can know. Examine your own heart. When it comes to taking on and adding to your faith, not just being settled in your faith for what it is, that you have entrance into heaven, some security for the future. Evaluate yourself when it comes to goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. Are those attributes that are evident in you? Are those things you're making every effort, as he says in verse 5, as he says in verse 10, that you're making every effort to take on? Are you just satisfied to kind of take faith for what it is and just sort of hope for the best. I pray that that would not be you because he is saying you're living as one who's apart from Christ. And it may even lead you to a place where you wonder, am I in Christ? Or maybe you know that you're not. There's no need to Go beyond this moment without some security in that regard. Because you can confess your sin. You can seek his forgiveness. And you can come to know it. And as you do, you can have the promise of verse 11. That you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe that that's what you long for. I believe that that's what you desire, but you might find yourself in a situation here today where you're asking yourself, am I being intentional about taking on 
these attributes, even if you didn't know specifically these seven to highlight, that you're working so that you would be effective and productive in your spiritual walk. I pray that we would have that sort of confidence that we'd be willing to live that sort of life. Why should we? Because God has laid down his life through his son, Jesus, so that we might have hope, so that we might have life. And I pray that we wouldn't be so cavalier with that as to just say, I'm willing to give God a little bit. I'm willing to give him a little something. And I'm glad that I have a little faith. I pray that you wouldn't be willing to live in a little faith, but that you would make every effort to come into the place that God would desire you to be. Going for the win. And we know how to do it now because of what he's offered to us. So I pray that we would together have the courage and the commitment and the conviction maybe to write these things down at home. These seven things. How can I go after these in the week that is to come? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that Peter has given us a game plan. He's given us a way to step beyond the, the casual nature that our faith perhaps has been lived at. Just sort of a, an add-on to the rest of life rather than being the very thing that is the core, that is the foundation and that we live out and infuses itself into every other aspect of our life. So that goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and mutual affection and love, that this is, this is just who we are. This is how we live. This is what we're pursuing day by day. This is what we're demonstrating in the relationships that we're in and the people that we encounter. Lord, we don't want to be people who are on the sidelines. People who are barely with a toe in the game hanging on to faith as though it's all there was. Peter says, no, that just looks like one who's blind to spiritual things, but rather fully engaged in the game, making every effort thankful for the way that you've equipped us and given us the opportunity to do so. Friend, if you're here today and you would say, I'm not so sure that I'm even in faith, I can't add to faith because I don't have faith. And pray, asking God to confess your sin, or for you confessing your sin, asking him to forgive your sin, telling him you're putting your trust completely in him today, thanking him for the faith that he brings and making every effort to take it the next step and then the one after that. Father, thank you for your goodness, for your kindness that gives us hope, that gives us life. We pray that we wouldn't take it for granted, but that we would live it out to its full. We pray in Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen.